Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for our salvation slain. A thousand, thousand saints attending, join to sing the glad, glad refrain, Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Christ the Lord returns to reign. Our scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew from the 16th chapter. Hear now the word of God. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance, a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind on divine things, but not on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay everyone for what has been done. And truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Lord, may we receive with wisdom and with joy what you are saying to your church this day through your spirit. In Christ we pray, amen. Could be, who knows? There's something due any day. I will know it right away, soon as it shows. It may come canning, balling down through the sky, gleaming its eye bright as a rose. Who knows? It's only just out of reach, down the block, on a beach, under a tree. I got a feeling there's a miracle do gonna come true, coming to me. Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming, something good. If I can wait, something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it's gonna be great. With a click, with a shock, phone will jingle, door will lock, open the latch, something's coming. Don't know when, but it's soon. Catch the moon, one-handed catch around the corner or whistling down the river, come on, deliver to me. Will it be? Yes, it will. Maybe it's just holding still, it'll be there. Come on, something, come on in, don't be shy, meet a guy, pull up a chair and the air is humming and something great is coming, who knows, it's only just out of reach down the block on a beach, maybe tonight. Do you know Tony? Tony, who sings these words, no last name, Tony, disillusioned but optimistic Tony, 
Retired of the gang life, Tony, hoping for a new day, Tony. Maybe you've seen him dancing in the streets of New York, crooning about the near mythical promise of something good coming round the corner. And I'm surprised that our dear Tony, with his head in the clouds, rushing towards his glimmering future, didn't just careen into somebody, hey, watch what you're doing, you numbskull. Or have someone shout down as a voice from on high from a dingy tenement window, shut the heck up, you lunatic. People got lives to live. Poor Tony. If you've watched West Side Story, or even if you've read Romeo and Juliet, you know this guy's fate. Yes, something wonderful is coming and something awful, something exuberant and something devastating, something life-making and something life-taking. Tony's story is a genuine tragedy, a love story gone awry a serious drama where the protagonist, the main character, and some superior force like destiny or fate meet head on, and inevitably there is a disastrous conclusion that leaves us all in a state of pity. You wouldn't know it from the opening scene of West Side Story where Tony is wistfully and naively yearning for the ring of the phone or the knock on the door that hails his new life. We don't get a glimpse that our happy-go-lucky and soon-to-be-love-struck protagonist will end up in a bloody, wet pool of his own blood. On a black street of New York, his life ebbing away and the love of his life leaning over him, clinging to him, sighing out. There's a place for us. Something's coming for Tony, all right. And there seems to be no escape for it. The Jesus we meet today in our scripture, a lectionary passage, is no Tony. His story may seem tragic, but Jesus knows what's coming. He states it as plainly as he can, though no one is really listening. I must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. It doesn't have that snappy rhythm and ring of Sondheim's lyrics, but it carries great import and impact. There is no wistful yearning for a hopeful and promised future. It's matter of fact, I will go, I will suffer, and I will die. Oh yes, on the third day I will be raised. There is this hopeful note, but it doesn't ring out as hopeful because no one is listening to Jesus and no one understands. In fact, perky, earnest sidekick Peter, this sidekick of Peter chides Jesus, hey, don't be such a downer. You're going to dr drive all of these, your followers, away. I can't imagine something that bad happening to you. Is that what you really think is going to happen? And Jesus shuts Peter down quickly and decisively. Look, Beelzebub, knock it off. This will go as it will go. You are a stumbling block. In the road we are on, 
We must go forward. Your mind is set on earthly things. There is a bigger picture that you cannot see. Get in line and do not hinder anyone along the way. This is how it must go. And then as if Peter's scandalous stumbling block of a question inspires Jesus, he turns to everyone else and says, if you're gonna keep following me, you need to know what's coming, what's up ahead, just beyond your line of sight. If any of you wish to keep on keeping on after me, there is something of yourself that must die along the way. Let it go. It no longer serves you. Take up my burden as if it were a cross and follow me. I really have no idea why this passage comes at this time of year. It seems more appropriate for Lent when we're thinking about things like that where Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and to the cross. We have a hard time at this time of relating to uh, this text maybe because it's, it's Labor Day weekend after all and we know what that means. Something is coming. Pumpkin spice latte. Costco is full of Halloween decorations and Christmas trees already. Surely this is not the time to talk about Jesus dying on the cross. Or is it? Now, maybe this text appears at this time of year because it's about simple discipleship. Come and follow me. Jesus does, Jesus does talk about how to be good disciples in this passage, right? Be selfless and do good things for others. And when, some, and when someday you end up at those pearly gates, they will open wide for each one who gets to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. You've done good, come on in. Isn't that what he means when he says, for the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what he has done. Jesus' words, they come across a little bit like behavior modification. Do good and you will be rewarded. Is that what this passage is about? Maybe this text is about suffering. Jesus does say, after all, take up your cross and follow me. Maybe he's saying, the only way anyone will ever know you're truly my, you truly are my disciple is if you're miserable. I've known Christians like this, those who put on the seemingly self-righteous mantle of poor, poor, pitiful me. And I don't mean to make light of this, but some folks seem to wallow in self-pity and think that this is the way of the cross. I might even be guilty of this myself. Suffering for the Lord produces character after all. Now I know that there is genuine suffering in the world and I take great comfort in knowing that the God who formed the vast and immense cosmos genuinely suffered in being taken up by the cross in Jesus' human flesh and frame, being broken and battered, taking on all of human malady and sickness unto death. And so many of us here in this place and around the globe experience suffering through grief sickness, abuse, and genuine loss. 
One thing I know for sure, Jesus does not call us, however, to a self-righteous martyrdom, nor is the way of the cross for those pie-in-the-sky dreamers. It is for realists, compassionate realists who trust that on the way of the cross there may come loss and self-denial, but what is gained is so much richer and fuller in existence than we could even imagine when we started this journey. And because we have trouble imagining it, Jesus helps us. He says, for those of you who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Believe it or not, understanding what Jesus says here and, uh, says here and our meaningfully incorporating that's a big word, incorporating it into our daily lives requires imagination. First of all, we need a little practical help. Jesus refers to life four times in this passage. Now here comes your obligatory Greek and Hebrew lesson. The word that he uses here is psyche. That's the word used in the Greek language, psyche. And for those who want to save their psyche will lose it, and those who lose their life psyche, for my sake, will find it. Older translations use the word soul here. For what will it profit you if you gain the whole world but, profit, but forfeit your soul? As if this were about some ethereal part of ourself that just slips away with our final breath and drifts up to the heavenly gates where we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. So how do we get from life and soul, well, there's another word, a Hebrew word, and that's nephesh. Jesus probably used a word like this, and what it meant originally was breath. What will it gain you if you lose, gain the whole world and lose your breath? Your life, your whole being, the whole person. The psalmist points to this in saying, the Lord leads me beside still waters and restores my nephesh my whole self, my whole being. Jesus says the way of the cross is about how you are going to live your life between this moment right now and the moment that you breathe out your last breath. Just think, if you tried to hold your breath, you will lose your life. You can't hold on to your breath and live and so let it go. Lose your breath your life, and you will gain mine, Jesus says. The writer of the Gospel of John records the, that the resurrected Jesus, the one who had endured the cross and had lost his life and regained it through the power of the resurrection, says to his bewildered and befuddled disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The life we lose and gain again in Christ is not for us alone. When we live, breathing through the Spirit of God, we are co-conspirators in the way of the cross. 
And what does this mean? It means that we breathe together. Conspirare, to breathe together. We conspire to be compassionate to one another and to the world that knows not the way of the cross. Scripture exhorts us, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is this what Jesus means when he says that the Son of Man, coming with his angels and the Father's glory, will recompense us for what we have done? how we have lived the way of the cross. This is the way through which God restores the soul. The way of the cross restores the breath. The way of the cross restores the whole person and draws us and all humanity into life. It is Jesus who says, come unto me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. Come unto me, all you who grieve and are seeking healing. Come unto me, all who you who would seek after justice, who would love kindness and who would walk humbly the way of the cross. And I will give you restoration for your souls, your lives, your very selves. And treat others as I have treated you. This is the way of the cross, not a burden, but a comfort. For I, says Jesus, have endured its suffering so that you might live. Something's coming, folks. Something's always coming. We can either live in naive ignorance of the hardships that lie ahead, or we could close down, hold our breath in expectation of calamity, or we can choose to walk the way of the cross through which God restores us and sustains us for the living of these days. Something's coming. Something is always coming. There will be good, there will be bad. There will be easy and there will be hard. Take up the cross and follow. In this is our strength. Let us conspire together, let us conspire together to live the restored lives that Christ offers us and to the world. Amen.